so much damage to unravel Picking out the sand and gravel Wish I could time travel Welcome to the Shadowscape Podcast. My name is Corey. And my name is Sean. And today we are in Kansas City. It feels good to be in Kansas City. It's good to be home, isn't it? I think. Yes, I think it, it's good to be home. But also, what's really strange is it was spring, almost summer, for like a few days. Mm-hmm. And now it's like working its way back to like yeah, It feels like winter. Oct- late October again. <laughs> yeah, fall is here. But it's green outside, so yeah. I can cope. It's very strange, but like I took my trash out this morning and it was like 40 degrees. I wasn't prepared for that. Mm. So not excited. But anyway, we're back in Kansas City. We're back in Shadowscape Studios. We're sitting in the control room this morning with the one and only and beautiful good Saint Nathaniel. How are you? I'm waking up. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I'm thankful for this cup of coffee you gave me. It's just just easy to drink fast. There's more where that came from if, you know, we need to take a mid-podcast well, pause. We'll, we'll see. Right now I'm feeling it's starting to work. Yeah. <laughs> Sean is notorious. Like, he he's not one of those guys who will make you coffee and be like, it's pretty hot, so you might, you know, just wait a second. He always gives me coffee where it's like, it's ready to chug right now. Mm-hmm. That's it, how I like it. I like totally it. Totally true. <laughs> yes. I, I will leave the coffee on the counter overnight so I can just microwave it a few seconds and Ooh. chug it. Like many people from our generation, I was a barista for a period of time. And I used to get in trouble by my manager uh, that I didn't make coffee hot enough because I like it to be like at temp that I can just swill it down. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever noticed that some people like will go into a coffee shop and they'll be like, can you please make that at a hundred and something degrees? 145 degrees, <laughs> like, which is cooler. <laughs> and then when people want hot, they're like, I would like it at 165 degrees. And then how, they'll just how tear do they your know? skin off. How, how, how does one know? There's actually a thermometer that yeah. you put in your steamy But wand. do we really think these people who are going to Starbucks actually know what's best? I mean, truly, no one can be like, yeah, 138, that's kind of my temperature. Or can surprising, they? Yes, it's, it's, it's trial and error. So a lot of times, like, what I would have happen is someone would come in and they'd say, hey, I don't know anything about coffee. I just know that usually when I get my coffee, it's hotter than I like. Um, do you know what temperature it's usually at? I have never and heard anyone like, oh, ask that. I usually hand it to you at 150-something degrees, and they'd be like, what would be a little bit better? And I'd be like, 145, and they'd be like, okay. All right. Well, that's not an experience I've had. Have you had an experience like that around coffee temperatures? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> ah, let's see. I have worked in a coffee shop, so okay. We have that that shared. We have that bond. That uh, camaraderie. I've already been cut out. Yeah, you're already gone. Like the fourth minute. Uh, I didn't have that. My coffee shop experiences were uh, in San Francisco. And, hey. and they tended to be much more adventurous than temperature related. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was uh, like I would like that made out of goat's milk. <laughs> no, and you need to whisper the word lavender at it. <laughs> it was Starbucks, so they didn't really. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, gotcha. No, I'm picturing uh, hipster Thanksgiving a little bit. Wildflower. Oh, do you I, know what I'm talking about? I do. Um, <laughs> I, I definitely have experienced the hipster Thanksgiving. Uh, <laughs> I lived there. Gosh, it was 2007 when I left, so it wasn't. Uh, that cool at that point. It was kind of in a between phase. The of world the was still emo at that at that moment. Hipster hadn't quite a, like poked its yeah, head yeah, out of the it ground didn't have quite its claws yet. In, yeah. yeah, it was still like when I moved there. The there was still the the emo um, fumes were still wafting through the air. Yeah. Mm, I love emo fumes in the morning. You know, <laughs> it's like heading down to the raceway. 
Oh, jeez. Smelling fresh emo fumes. Okay. Out of All right. Fresh emo fumes. Well, anyway, <laughs> let's move on. So, for anybody who's listening who might not know who you are, who might have you know never heard anything about you, can you give us like a like a kind of a bird's eye view of what Good Saint Nathaniel is, and and kind of just uh, fill us in a little bit. Good Saint Nathaniel is my latest project. It's it's only a couple months old. I my musical. Adventures started with promoting in 98 and then touring in 2004. And the band that has logged the majority of the miles is called Destroy Nate Allen. And that's a, we play interactive sing-along folk punk. So it's like right. high energy, uh, essentially party music uh, or music that creates a party feel. And Good St. Nathaniel is completely the opposite of that. It is... I agree. <laughs> it's it's a very f- feelings-based, hard-on-your-sleeve, quiet folk project that is about as far away from my previous musical um, exploration as most people will uh, jump, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. And so that's that's my new thing and what I've been putting my efforts into for, for the last couple of years. So. Can you walk us through why this project happened and why the continuation of party folk, you know, kind of took a back seat to this new project. Thank you for saying back seat because the other project still exists. Yes. Some, yes. People, some people don't notice that. And I, I let them go with it. Um, <laughs> so around five years ago, I realized that there was a part of my story that had involved spiritual abuse and I didn't know that. So um, I was a, a really devout um, Christian, and I was very much like in the that world of youth pastoring, pastoring, church involvement all the time. Um, my band's kind of not necessarily in, in that world, but still kind of dancing around the edge of that. And um, and so when I realized that, oh man, like a lot of my internal issues actually. Um, were explained by spiritual abuse that really called for personal reckoning. It made me be like, huh, if this is part of my story, then like, what does that mean? And so I essentially like put most of my like outward focus projects on hold to work on myself. Um, I historically have been a workaholic, and so the only way to stop being a workaholic is to put the brakes on and let the uh, let the sobriety of, of that moment kind of sink in. And so out of putting the brakes on touring and putting out records all the time, and I mean just going for it, uh, I started to heal from the spiritual abuse, um, I mean, slowly with therapy and uh, and lots of journaling and lots of reading, uh, and also started writing these songs. And if you followed my collective works over the years, there's little moments of like, like maybe quiet emotion that slips into songs, quiet folk song here or there. And as I started writing, it was just all these quiet songs. And... They all happen to be kind of loosely framed around this this uh, inner recovery and growth process I was going through. 
And so I have, uh, so I decided to lean into it and just like, I want to, you know, write all the songs I'm supposed to write and feel everything that I'm supposed to feel um, around what it meant to try to become a healthier person, not somebody who had been really marked. I mean, the, the abuse that I'm talking about has altered thousands of my conversations, hundreds of my interactions. Um, and for, for context, I'll pull it back a little bit. Um, so growing up, uh, in this, in this Christian environment, I grew up in, in Oregon, so I'm not talking about anybody in Kansas city. Um, I'm sure we all have it though. Um, so you didn't get off. Um, <laughs> I went to 12 years of Christian school, and I was very, very involved in all things related to church and, and school. But I also dealt with people that um, were just mean, like the kind of like bullying that happens probably any school. Mine just all also happened to be all Christian kids, right? <laughs> or the discipline would always be like, you know, you're not just being a bad kid, you're being a bad kid, and you're actually putting your, your eternal, like destination in question yeah. or I don't like you and I don't like you just because there's a personality conflict. I don't like you because, well, you're not really living out your faith like you're supposed to. And, um, these would be things inflicted on you. Yeah. Okay. And, um, and so it really like my, my, my story involved like thousands of micro interactions and small negative personality conflicts. And then some major, major big ones like, Oh, that person decided they didn't like me. And then, Three years later, they still don't like me, and I can't figure out why. And but man, they sure threw a lot of shade my way, <laughs> and it got real weird. Um, and so realizing that those small interactions that are really easy to brush aside or just kind of push through had actually scarred me and altered my my story um, made me want to address those. I'm not a I, I have a, th- a th- personal goal that if I figure out that somebody has like affected me in a negative way or scarred me, um, I want to heal from that. I don't want them to tell my story. So I'm like, Oh, you, you know, you weirdo pastor that said that stupid thing to me. You know, I realized that has gotten me in therapy and I want to be able to process that pain you threw at me to where I'm not living in reaction to it. Right. So that all came out in the new record. Um, that's awesome. So, yeah. Did the, you feel like you even had control of letting these songs out? Or was, you know, were you, I, I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely just kind of interested. I know sometimes when we sit down to write a record, uh, we're kind of searching for what do I want to say to people to help and sometimes we're just going, I hope I can keep up with whatever my brain's throwing at me. And I just, I just need to say this because I guess my body and my brain wants to. Where do you feel like you fell when writing this record? I'm always in the, the latter camp. Mm. Um, I don't generally set out to write songs about any topic. I just I go about through my day and a song shows up and I record it into my notes. And then eventually I go back and finish it. And um, so this... This record is, I mean, there was maybe 200 demos or something, and I picked 10 songs from that. And, uh, they, but, but I didn't, there wasn't any song that I sat down and said, I want to write about this. I've, I found that to be not a very 
a big part of my process. Right. So can you talk about your writing process a little more detailed? I, I feel like when I hear your songs, they feel so kind of stream of consciousness and so um you know that we were talking about this earlier. This this record doesn't approach you like this um kind of poppy hook based so- thing where it's just like I just wrote this little thing that was kind of neat and I'm going to repeat that over and over again I feel like you're like I've got a shovel and I need to get to that treasure down there and so you guys are going to come with me as I dig this out and uh I I just love to hear about your writing process and kind of um just how you like how you go about this and, and kind of just break down what this really detailed vulnerable stream of consciousness writing is even is even like for you well, there's two parts. Um, so there's the part of me that catches the song, and generally a verse or a chorus. Some some point, maybe my wife jokes that I go to the bathroom and come out with a song. Um, <laughs> I do too. It's just this is you know there's space it's the there. place, man. Um, but I, it's just just as I'm going about life, and then then there's the refining process, which to me. I like paper, so there's a lot of paper. There's a lot of Excel sheets. There's a lot of researching, and for me, pushing until the song has kind of built a built a form. And then there's, I mean, I wrote a song a few days ago, and I'm like, okay, it's it's close to ready, and it's six revisions in. Yeah, um, yeah. So there's a whole lot of refining and trying to get really clear with it, like asking, is this song makes sense do these words actually work in the context like oh that word doesn't work there it's not actually what the song's about or um where i'm at and like in in reflection on the story so there's really like there's a whole lot of technical refining like i mean if you if you were like a bird on my shoulder when i'm writing i'm sitting in a a room like almost manically going over these pieces of paper <laughs> mm-hmm. that uh, have little bits of my song and I'm putting them together and I'm like, ah, like that song's not not done. There's something wrong with it. And uh, there's a song, Concrete, on the record that was, there was um, there was one line that just wasn't done. And the song, I mean, it took maybe three years to find that word. And I just was like, I figured it out maybe a few minutes before we recorded it. And I was yeah. like, oh, that's the line. Yeah. Dude, we're totally good. Like That's amazing. That. And so with this record, I was able to push every song to where every line is what it needs to be, which I'd never done that before. I mean, I've released probably close to 200 songs, and this is the first collection that was like, nailed every line, (laughs) like, like it just, it was there. So it's really technical and really intense, um, so I have to ask, you say technical and intense, you said Excel spreadsheets. Yes. Is this like word frequency, rhyme scheme, syllables? What What's the spreadsheets have? Spreadsheets, lists of all the songs that okay. I'm working on. Uh-huh. Uh, so they don't get lost? So linked, linked to Google Sheets with all the words. Okay. All the revisions down below. So like project board. Project board. Okay. And... um. But yeah, there is. Then I'll put them all in a big document, and I'll I'll search word frequency, and mm-hmm. I'll, you know, see what what is repeating, which parts of the songs are repeating throughout the record, like what themes are going there. Like, there's a whole lot of like cross checking that goes on, and with this record in particular, 
I don't know if anybody will ever figure it out. There's all these little themes that repeat and tie it back and forth through the record that's that awesome. are like, they're, they're hard to find. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. Like yeah. that word repeats there and it's later. It's a different part of the story and yeah. it's intentional. And so. Album scope Easter eggs. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of that stuff. That's cool. I like that. No, I love that. I feel like what a, I mean, that's just such a great way to be able to look back on your next project and, and, and later in life and 20 years down the road and go like, that was me right there, right yeah. then and there. Like that's a picture of what I actually look like, what I actually wanted to say, what I was actually going through. And I, like, that's just that I think I'm a big like believer that particularly in songwriting, editing so often can be what makes that song yeah. actually pop. And like, I like it's super, it's, it's super lame, but I get so emotional about the, the process of songwriting. Yeah. Because there's this weird mad scientist lab that just like happens. It just like bubbles around me in that moment where it's like, oh, this is the time where we write the song. Yeah. And like I just, it's like all time and space stops and like all my emotions just go hello again. And it's like, it's like it's weird, crazy place. And, but like I love when editing gets to be a big player in that game and isn't shunned as like this non-artistic expression or like, Oh, you're overthinking it or that's not pure because it didn't happen in the moment. Like there's just so much value that goes when, when an artist can look at themselves in the mirror and go, okay, let's figure this out. Cause like, I see you and I see what you just gave me, but I also like have multiple sides of my brain and multiple sides of my personality. And like, Let's let's really let's let's make sure all of Nate gets to be a part of this, totally. not just that moment. I think that's really cool. I and, and I, I I honestly I'm a little bit jealous because I I've never been able to say that with a piece of work where I went yes yes that's it I did it never said that so that's amazing yeah. you got there. It took a long time, and I think <laughs> like it took um. I think this record, the the. I took, I mean, I've been writing for a long time. And so you, you'd go through phases where you, you know, turn a corner or you make an improvement in your craft. Um, 2012, I put a songbook together with all my songs. And I had to go and look through all my recorded history. And I saw my mistakes. And I was like, oh, dang, if I would have changed that word or dropped that chorus or, you know, repeated that phrase, the song would be better. And so I kind of had a, a fresh look on what I'd been doing and then applied that to the new project. And also it was just like, I, I think because of the, the sensitive nature of the material, I didn't want to, I didn't want to have a misstep, um, yeah. particularly in the, the songs. I wanted them to, to be thorough. Um, I thought, I thought that's what I needed it to be. And so like doing that, I, I turned into a different songwriter, uh, and you, you mentioned the, the two sides of your brain. I didn't really ever get to do much of the, like, I'm going to create a bubble, I'm going to finish this song. Right. <laughs> the whole project was spread out over months and weeks and, you know, having human like a baby and life keeps yeah. turning and twisting. So literally it was like, I've got five minutes, I'm going to go in there and see if I yeah. can improve a word. <laughs> yeah. And so, oh, I got five more minutes, let's see if I can get, like, a phrase. And every once in a while I'd get an hour and I'd get to, like, take a couple phrases and, and shift them. And uh, it, was a, it was a really weird, I would say, 
there's the art part where it's just me catching the song, feeling like, oh, this is catchy. This this is actually worth like investigating. And then there's the craft part, which is like, let's let's work this on every angle until it feels like it's a solid, sturdy like piece of work that can last on a horrible guitar <laughs> and nothing else. <laughs> right. if, if it can move somebody to tears you know, being played as stripped down as you can make it, then that's a good song. Yeah. And then you can go up from there. That's awesome. I I love just the view into how much of like a passion project this is when you say like, I got five minutes, I'm going to go in there and do this. Like, that's the real stuff. That's, that's because five minutes, like when you said (laughs) had a baby, I can imagine five minutes like to actually escape anything and to have your own thought that's, just about this song is incredibly rare, yeah. you know, and so it's just more so for me, like after, you know, hearing the record and, and kind of peering into your life a little bit, it just goes, wow, like, okay, so these songs were that valuable that yeah. five minutes was, was, was enough to be able to go in there and connect. And for me, I went through a book called The Artist's Way, yeah, mm-hmm. which is great. You do the morning pages? Yeah. Yeah. So What a crazy experience. Okay. It's funny because I think where you're about to head, this was a question I was going to ask. And so if this isn't what you're, you're about to head, go for it. head here at the end if you would. Okay. I wanted to ask about discipline. Yeah. Because you're talking about all this work and all these spreadsheets. Um, Corey's talking about the passion side of it. You're talking about tiny little five minutes here and five minutes there. And I have trouble as an artist um, pursuing completion, pursuing anything um, unless that epiphany of inspiration, you're all passion. Yeah, I'm all passion. And if that passion isn't there today, I don't. I can't work on it. He write, He writes songs like a hopeless romantic, yep. and and so when the vibe's not there, it just it's he's gonna wait till later till it comes back. Yeah. So I'm I'm curious about yeah discipline and follow through, and I feel like that's where you're about to head. So well, intention. Uh huh. Um. So for me, I, I, I felt after going through the artist's way that I needed to write a record. That's what I was doing, a writing rec- record about my Christian faith experience. That was like the the nugget I came out with after going through the book the first time. I've gone through maybe four times now. Um, wow. <laughs> so I never made it through because oh, it's, it's so thick. <laughs> freaking changed my life. <laughs> That's um, amazing. It's such a... She's not. She's no joke. No, she's no joke at all. Um, Julia Cameron, Artist Way, check it out. Huge endorsement. Yeah, go buy it. It's seriously. Uh, it will. It will change you for sure. So she has this thing about. You just have to show up, and mm-hmm. and, and the it works. Yeah, being present. And so, like, for me, so there was the intention of this is what I'm working on, which is I'm. I'm making this record, like this, like like what I'm. My next artistic project is this record. But realizing that all I have to do to get to the next step is show up. And so it's like, okay, I got five minutes. I'm going to jump back there. And, you know, maybe it was like switching out like a three-letter word. That was the whole accomplishment. But when I showed up consistently, there was there was an exchange, a, a forward movement. Um, and I mean, I'm talking, I have a giant sh- table full of songs that I'm working <laughs> on. And so if a song doesn't feel good, I just jump to the next one. So I'm like, oh, you know, that one, <laughs> it wasn't there today. And so like, instead of being like, I want to get there really intensely, I just like, let's jump to the next one. 
and and then you know and move around until like, okay i think i feel like that's where my heart's at let's run with that and kind of pruning the plant that's growing the, yeah. the strongest and, and so it w- there was an intention and a discipline to have to show up over and over again to realize that that was necessary and i'm my background is that of a workaholic and a person who is used to carrying the majority of the load myself. Uh, I've been I've been independent and a DIY musician for not necessarily by choice for a long, long time. So like I'm used to handling every aspect of a project. Like okay, I'm going on a multi-month tour. What am I going to do? Everything. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm putting out a record. I don't have any idea how to make a record, you know, this is back in the day, like, what do I do? Well, you buy some software and you buy a mic and you figure out what to do. And you don't have anybody else to ask. You're not like, I've never been fortunate enough to have like, hey, Nate, let me show you how to make a record. Right. Like, you know, or, or a label that says, hey, let's let's craft, put you in our system and we'll go with it. It's it's all learning as I go. So uh-huh. like the same way with the record. I'm like, how do I, how do I write this record that's by far my most vulnerable piece of music? Well, I show up. And I, I put it on a spreadsheet. I check off the boxes, you know, like, you know, theme, lyrics, like what's completion, like, you know, is our melody solid? Like, and I go through like in a really, really technical way, like, and towards even to the end of this one, I was like, okay, now I'm for the first time in my creative process approaching intro, outro, bridge, like those really technical, like to parts of me that feel really technical. Mm-hmm. Right. And Structure I'm like, and like, what is like... You know, I've always been a verse and a chorus guy. Like, what's yeah. it look like to flesh out the other parts of that? Like, <laughs> like in a very technical way. And like, so I there's a Facebook post that said, you know, what are your favorite so- what are your favorite intros to songs? And so all my friends put mm-hmm. theirs, and I went and studied them. And I'm like, okay, I've got some better intros than I've ever had before. Huh. That's amazing. And, uh, in yeah. a really technical way, it was just like ah, I got That's something I got to work on. Yeah, that's. I've never thought about an intro ne- yeah, ever. Never. <laughs> I've had huh. them, but like that's that's deep, man. Yeah, it's going somewhere. I think it's cool. Like you're, in order to progress, you're going. I'm gonna educate myself. I yeah, it's a good place to start. I don't know any other way to do it. Um, either somebody tells me, or I have to go figure it out. Right. Yeah. You're, I love the just the true DIY Nate. Like that. It's it's not DIY. Just like Google and just see what everybody else is doing. But it seems like you're kind of just going. I'm gonna just figure out how to create Nate and what Nate's going to do and what my life and my family and my, my career is going to look like. We're trying. Yeah. <laughs> Us too. I feel that. I feel that super deep. So I want to, I want to unpack something that is, it's kind of been a theme throughout you talking about your, your new record. And, and, and I think maybe my favorite song on the record was called coming unglued. And, uh, obvious like spiritual undertones overtones i don't know what you want to call them um but you know throughout this record like you said there's these thematic like unraveling of of maybe your your faith or or maybe the lack thereof or kind of how you've been hurt or how you're healing um i like i know that that faith can be such a or that just that whole world can be such a touchy thing, but I'd love to unravel that with you a little bit and just, uh, you know, cause I think 
some of the things that you've said that I, I can see in my own life and things that, you know, that I, I just like, maybe we can find some answers here or even heal in this way. And, uh, just artist to artist kind of, I'd love to hear where some of these words came from because this whole record in so many moments, I was like, wow, that's really vulnerable. Oh, that's really honest. And all of a sudden I'm like, that's that, that chilled me. Like there was these haunting moments inside almost pure bliss. And I'm like, how are these things coexisting next to each other? But then the second or third listen, I'm like, that's how I feel too. And like, I actually see that modeled in my own self. So I just loved, I'd love to unpack a little bit more of just that, that spiritual side and, and and maybe spiritual growth or um, just what that, how, how you're processing that pain, where it comes from and, and how it just kind of bleeds into your songs. Yeah. Well, that, that song in particular, I think, lays out the dichotomy of the chorus is, um, Blessed Lord Jesus, what should I do? They say they love you, and I love you too. And so it's it's an exploration of what does it mean when there is pain and there's love and there's complications that are coexisting for me, from a very early age, um, in the third grade, I had uh, a teacher that was mean. I came home and I asked my mom, why don't the Christians act like Christians? And so I could already verbalize there was a split there. Christian school, so everybody's kind of supposed to be on this track, um, moving in a similar direction, and I was able to say, this teacher's mean. Her name was Miss Hate. It was perfect. No. She was my neighbor. I was so excited <laughs> to have a teacher that was my neighbor. And then she was a first-year stu- teacher way over her head, and I'm sure yeah. dealing with her own issues. Um, do you think Do you think any of, of her anger and meanness came from growing up with a name hate? Probably. Some trauma there. I mean, there's prob- there probably is a whole... Because a lot of times... There's got to be a whole trauma web that and, she's dealing well, with. Well, I know that I know that it's a... I know that it's... I shouldn't move the mic while I'm talking... I know that it's a cliche, and I know it's easy to roll our eyes at, but there's the old cliche, hurt people hurt people. I don't think it's a cliche at all. I, I think hurting people hurt people, yeah. like, 100% of the time. I, I don't think there's... I would have no hesitation yeah. with that. So um, I'm not I'm not trying to derail your story. Yeah. I just... I'm, I'm curious uh, if, if you ever found any peace by maybe realizing um, that her hurt towards you wasn't because she doesn't love Jesus, yeah. but maybe because she has just as many pain struggles in her life that she couldn't cope with in a healthy manner. I think so. I mean, I, well, I, didn't, I haven't really explored that nugget. Okay, um, I didn't mean to derail No, you. you're fine. Continue. I mean, like, why have, I have not explored my relationship with my third grade teacher. Sure. Um, I've explored Fair. a whole lot of other things <laughs> yeah. uh, that yeah. I'm still like, I, I was going through um, through a grief cycle last night. I um, There's a book, there's these guys that write these ba- books called Boundaries. They're called Cloud and Townsend. They're fantastic writers. Uh, they have a book called Beyond Boundaries. I read through their grief cycle last night and it just floored me. Mm. Um, and so I was totally like on my floor. I'm like, oh gosh, I'm going through it again. Time to, um, so to answer the greater question, there there was there's a loss, um, 
but for me, I never really fully detached. Um, my my journey never led me to question the existence of God. It never led me to um, stop going to church or pull away from friends that I've I've known as very trustworthy. Mm-hmm. Um, it has caused me to reflect and reinspect many many angles of of how I was raised and how I live but those those were not in question so like it's it's been a reframing of almost all things faith or christian or culture or place those have all been like fully shooken up. Um, I also went through a midlife crisis. So there's like, there's tons of like layers to, to where I've been, um, much more than we could ever touch on here. Um, are you predicting a short life? Because you seem so young to yeah. have a midlife crisis. Are you, like our age? <laughs> I'm 37. Oh, okay. Um, actually You're still a young guy. Yeah. You know, it's still young for midlife. My I mean. dad called me, I, I must've been maybe 34 and he, he goes, So how you doing? I'm like I'm okay. He's like how, how you doing emotionally? He never says that. Mm-hmm. And I was like I'm I'm okay. He's like you know when I was at your age I had a had a midlife crisis. Mm. It's like huh interesting. It's genetic. What did you do? <laughs> He's like oh I read a book your mom gave me. Like what book was it? I don't know. Ask her. Bye. <laughs> Did he just have some spiritual inkling that you, you know? Were I mean, voyaging into the dark. He's, I'm void. sure. So my dad does not have language around emotion and uh, internal things. Yeah, well, it's been a generational thing. Yeah, no, no, but he is incredibly intuitive. Yeah, huh. and so like I would not put it past him at all to pick up on that. Yeah, but but then not know what but to not do know with what it to say, verbally. but know that like <laughs> he's watching his son from two thousand miles away, saying, "Well, he seems like he's floundering right now. Maybe I should call him and say this thing." Yeah, mm-hmm. and so kudos to him. That was huge. It was what I was going through, right? Um, and so like, but you know, reexamining things in the light of abuse triggered that. There's just so many things moving to a new city, feeling displaced. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, having all sorts of things happen, not necessarily the life that we would have chosen at that point, mm-hmm. and being like, oh gosh, this is like not. I mean, this record is. I'm really happy with the record, but it's not a fun album wasn't a fun album to work on it was like like it could be look, look back and say oh that's a that's a well-written song but oh crap that was that really hurt yeah. um and so the actual process of going through this is like i mean it was really similar to what i did last night where i'm like okay let's let's reinvest reinvestigate that wound kind of lance it poke at it more with the intention of getting healthier so like but what that looks like for me in a very practical sense is when I revisit that moment or a new angle on my story, it's emotionally exhausting. So, uh, for instance, the song Concrete, I read through these, these boundary steps, and they mentioned that two things that I found really key, that you never grieve anything that you weren't attached to. So, like... Like, so there was a good thing there. So, like, that kind of lays, like, I'm going to grieve. Um, I Like, if I lose a friend or, like, in this case, you know, I had a bicycle accident. And so I've always just, you know, attributed the whole trauma to the leg break. That's it. 
and and everything that came after. And then I was like, oh my gosh, there was actually a loss of relationship with the people that broke my leg. There was a sense of safety because my parents didn't show up for quite a bit of time. And that means that we actually were playing together, like with some regularity. And I was a lonely kid. And so there was like, there was this gap that was being filled of like peers and and good movement. And that was lost. And so like realizing that attachment um, was severed. And then also realizing that grief, I'm, I'm a novice when it comes to grief. Like I've got a lot of grieving still to do and I've done a lot of it. Um, but like realizing that it's really easy for me, it's really easy to say like, you hurt me, you did this thing, you were like, you know, you did X, Y, and Z. And now that I'm done with you, X, Y, and Z no longer exists in my life. You know, like I don't have to talk to you or I, we can talk, but we can talk on my terms with my boundaries and we don't have to ever go there. Um, that's, that's relatively easy and realizing that um, if I'm grieving you, then there's actually, there was a loss of something good that I didn't necessarily process. Like, like if I'm, if I lost the friendship with you and that's, what's actually affecting me, then there was a friendship there to begin with. And so they were saying that you have to grieve the good and the bad. And I was just used to grieving the bad. And so like, oh my gosh, there's like a multifaceted, um, angle to that, that I didn't necessarily even know till last night. But the result is <laughs> go there, do some writing, do some journaling, do some reading. And then I'm just gone. I'm like, oh gosh, I, I went to bed two hours early last night. It's like, okay, I, I can't, I talked to my, talked to Tessa, my, my wife. And I was like, I think I got to go to bed. I'm just, I'm done. Like, I feel like I've been crying all day. I wasn't crying. The tears didn't actually get totally out of my eyes, but they were there. And uh, so that's the process. Oh. Sounds like you're way better at this than me. Like as you're talking, I'm like, crap. <laughs> What's what does grieving even look like? Like I don't know. Do I even do it? Have I done it? Should I do it? And then good and the bad. Oh no! What's good grief? <laughs> like like is that what good grief means? <laughs> like, <laughs> Maybe. <that's laughs> it's funny. like so so many questions brought on by a question, but also brought on by an answer. So. Well, we're right in the thick of it right now. Yeah. Um, so in in one of your songs, uh, the song Better, when you say the line, I think we can do better, a whole world better than this. Um, I always wonder sometimes when we, when we have these songs that are about maybe, well, in this instance, like a world that's better than this, like, what the artist actually would like to see. Like, what is the world better than this? Like, what's that look like for you? How can we do better? My question is what's better and what's this? Yeah. It, it doesn't even have to be like for the whole world in general, like in your mind, like if you could lay it, lay it out. Like what were you saying, that in that like? what were you saying in that moment? This yeah. is what the whole record's about. Right. Trauma, abuse, pain, um, unchecked action you know like that that kind of put yourself down and say you have no choice um action and so i think that that leads to i mean if you're if you're reacting from a shame place or you're seeking security in your relationship with someone else that's a dangerous spot um i think it happens when you 
anybody along the way. Like you have somebody who doesn't know much about people, they hurt people. You have somebody in big power, they hurt people. Mm -hmm. And I think they have the same commonality, which is a lack of awareness and a lack of connectivity to their their wounding and their brokenness and their capacity to hurt people. So that is the this. Um, The better is I think there's a whole world of improvement that can be done in the way that we interact with our fellow man in the church, in the public sector, in our homes, you know, every, every level by realizing I have the capacity to be an asshole. Let's, let's factor that in when I'm telling somebody what to do or interacting with them. And, you know, maybe that only leads to a half second pause. Right. But that half second pause can make the whole interaction so much better. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not talking about walking on eggshells. I'm just talking about factoring our capacity in for for wounding and then being like, oh, I'm realizing this is coming up in me and then not isolating ourselves. So we, we work that into our process. And so I think within the church, that's a huge factor. I think everybody that I've ever heard of that has left a mile of damage in their wake has isolated or built a, a castle where they're not letting people in. And it's just, it's, it's common. <laughs> it's really, really common and really predictable. Um, and I just, and so I think like that, that's, so that's the better is like, let's, let's change this equation. Let's re re look at ourselves, not even within the intensity of the record that I wrote. You don't, I don't think it's necessary for everybody. Um, for me, it's been really, really helpful and really freeing. Uh, I would not be having this conversation with you at all about faith topics. One of the issues that I encountered is that I would change the subject over and over again. Like, you know, I toured for years. Nobody knew anything about my past. Like I kept those little things hidden away. Uh, which is a whole other complicated story, but yeah. <laughs> like, but I, I didn't want that to be part of the, the factor because it didn't feel safe. And so realizing that there had been thousands of interactions where I had kind of buried parts of my heart and didn't want to bring it to the table because I was afraid, um, really, really marked my story. And so realizing like, oh, I've actually done a lot of healing because now I can actually have a conversation um, where I wouldn't have before. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of the things that you just said really resonated heavy with me that that concept of thing I'm living so much of my life and 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 sometimes looking at my life going how 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 did I get here? How did I make that mistake? Like how did I hurt that relationship? How did I do this? Like and and looking at myself and going I I just none of this makes sense. This is not what I would have wanted for myself. I know that I I never wanted this for myself and to hear you say like you're thinking about how one interaction or one marred friendship or one misstep with this person in my faith or in my life or my family or in another relationship not going unresolved and, and kind of just spinning around with, yeah. you know, sharp edges to it, just kind of in, in my being for so long going like, well, it's no wonder that, yeah. that some of the reasons, the ways that I treat people are, or, or, the, the totally unconscious like shame or pain that I might feel or act out on others 
isn't even necessarily something that I want to do, but I, some of these things are so unresolved. Yeah. And I was like, well, I can bury these forever. That's fine. Does, <laughs> and does, man, that just, that, that really resonates with me. Thank you. Um, the burying doesn't work. It only works for a season. Uh, and so it comes out. That's one thing that I've learned. Like there is this trauma that I've experienced that we've experienced comes out. It comes out subconsciously or it comes out consciously. And so I am of this mindset that we can approach our past in, in a way that it can be dealt with and not control us, um, you know, with professional help or with good guides. Like this isn't a solitary endeavor at all. I'm, I don't, we are not, uh, as humans, we, sh- we shouldn't walk through this stuff alone. Like we got into the mess with people. We should get out of the mess with people. Um, so I think you can, you can totally approach it and you can heal from it and you can unreact, uh, but it takes intention and it takes a a, a space and a time, um, to, to to grieve and to process and to work through. Um, and it can become, I mean, I'm, I'm a testimony that you can become less reactive. You can become less entangled in the mess that is just like that broken past interaction, uh, and some of them are super complicated. I mean, I've got I've got some stuff that's like oh, I'm still working that out. Like years later, like I'm I'm still in therapy. I've got therapy tomorrow, and uh, I'm. I think I'm we re- should all have therapy. I'm yeah. really thankful. Uh, yeah, I think we should have socialized that, therapy long before healthcare. But that's another topic. Go, go right. I, w- I would love to. Um, I mean, there's a destigmatizing movement going on around therapy, and I think that's mm-hmm. huge. Yeah, uh, because working through issues allows you to to hurt less people like me working through my stuff allows me to be a better more present parent for my kid like and allows me to be a better friend and a better support and when i realize like you know like how do i become a little less awkward i work through some of that stuff that's kind of the trigger and if i can like, oh, I'm in the middle of a shame trigger right now. Okay, let's breathe. Let's get, let's settle into the moment, present, the reality that that person's not really attacking me. Like, that allows me to have a shot at interacting with them in a in a real way. Um, that it's probably not gonna. If I don't approach it in a intentional way, I'm just gonna react. Do you think that all kind of boils down to self awareness, or do you think that it's something larger than that? Self-awareness is a factor, um, for sure. I don't think, I think my journey is a, is a, a statement to self-awareness, but it's also a, a, a statement to what happens when you let other people into your process. I mean, I think we talked about, uh, church and faith. And I mean, one of the constant themes that I've had for 20 years is good friends that are willing to be like, challenge me and not necessarily like, dude, you need to work on that. Like, I mean, I, my, do you appreciate that if it happens? Depends on the person. If they've earned it, if they've earned it. Yeah. And, and they're close enough to me to realize what my nuances and what my inner movements are. Then I think that's great. If they haven't, then they can like, they don't, they haven't earned the right. Yeah. I know that 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 in itself, man. I, I've heard that played out in so many different ways with yeah. so many different outcomes, and you know, I, I totally agree I mean, with what I'm, you're saying. And I'm not talking like I mean, I had a 
a leader years ago. I was um, 2004, I guess, uh, dealing with a, a pornography struggle, and I was like, like I didn't know what to do, and so I right. I lined up. I had like three or four, I think three or four guys that I I sat down. I told them what I was dealing with, and one of my this, this dear friend was like. I don't really know what you want me to do. Like, I'm not going to be like, like, I'm not going to ask you like how, how you're doing with this, but I will be there if you need me. And it was like, he put the ball back in my court. Yeah. yeah that's weird. And it was it really like lip service. Like I'm literally asking for help. No, 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 no. He was, he was present. He was uh-huh. awesome. He was a, a life changing person to me. Yeah. But instead of being like, I'm going to like carry your burden for you. He's uh-huh. like, I'll support you. Okay. And realizing like that element is like, because I I mean is really helpful. Um, at least for me it was. I think there's different modalities to how people approach sobriety. Um, for me that was that was what I needed to hear was to be realizing that I had a choice and responsibility. It wasn't for me just to like have somebody else carry gotcha. my burden. Oh, that's beautiful. So it was. Yeah, we were wrong. <laughs> Yeah, I, I wasn't fully understanding yeah. what we were trying we were to be saying. on your side. Yeah. Apparently, he was better than he, that. he was. You know, and that guy, David, uh, he 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 was the dude that changed my life. Like I was super exhausted and burnt out, and he yeah. was just like, "Let me be your friend." On, on that note, one thing that I hugely ap- applaud in you, and that um, it brings me a lot of hope, and like I don't I don't really know you, mm-hmm. but like. I'm I'm proud of you and I'm proud to know you as a person is um and th- and this isn't just with church I think this is with a lot of things I think this can be with friends or social circles or I even had some of this in my attitude towards music and creating and putting myself out there but but I really um I identify with your story uh I grew up in a large church and I I was pushed into a position of leadership uh before I was ready um and uh, endured a lot of shame and humiliation uh, because of that. And and a big portion of my story is very similar to yours in that I had two options. I could say, God, this is your fault. Church, you're stupid and I hate you. Um, all of this is fake and I'm going to trash can it so that I can be comfortable. Or I can face this pain. I can face that shame. I can work through that. And I can realize that... Um, just because bad things happen to me, just because bad doesn't mean false. Yeah. Um, and I, I feel like so many people have taken truth and spirituality, um, the baby, and they have thrown it out the fourth, fourth story window with the bathwater. And, um, I think it's such a sign of, of strength and of cerebral pause of consequence that you've taken the path that you've taken and said, um, no, I'm not going to let flawed people, because uh, we're all broken people, yeah, and I'm not going to let people's brokenness break what truth is or what or the depth of my spirituality could be but instead I'm going to untangle the web and I'm going to peer out that window and um, 
all of that, I guess, ties back to, um, you know, what you were saying earlier with, with your friend and him saying like, take some responsibility. Yeah. Um, I guess good on him. I, I completely kind of Tony Robbins to you. Yeah. A little bit, you know? <laughs> um, but, uh, I don't know. I just, I'm just taking this moment to say I'm proud to know you and I'm proud of you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. Yeah. Well, I think too, I kind of love that it happened how you were explaining your, your friend and we were like so quick what to defend and be like, he's wrong. And you're like, no, he was absolutely right. And, <laughs> Because at a certain point, it isn't his job to be there with you in no, your bedroom and, and I, say, I mean, stop. He, we, had, we had like a five-month period that we actually had coffee every once in a while. And I haven't seen him yeah. again, ever. Yeah. Well, that, it's just it's so like quickly re-illuminated to me, like what you were saying earlier. And, and, I, and I was almost trying to figure out, I was like, so, so some of your, your being better or finding better in the world and in yourself – was it coming from self-awareness? And these are just running through my head. Was it coming from patience? And in that moment, like, I mean, I'm sure it's coming from lots of places, but in that moment where we were so quick to be like, no, defend the person and not actually hear the rest of the sentence. And immediately, and that's, that's that was epidemic the of our generation. That was, was, yeah. And we just showcased we it. Oh my gosh. And, and, but, and then I was like, oh, now I'm seeing it myself. Like, uh, okay. Slow down. Yeah. Listen. Yeah. And I, I hate that I just I do I just I just you totally became. jumped into the trigger word safe space. You got Dang it. it. Uh. Got him. Oh man. So I'm not proud of myself for uh, that, but I'm I, proud I, I that it happened. So there's growth we should right be here. Stronger people I don't, than that. Nothing to be ashamed of. Uh, yeah. there. <laughs> well, well uh, one of the things that I'm I'm curious about some of this um you understanding yourself more and, and working through some of these things and finding healing and, and grieving. Um, how does your, your relationship, like your, your, uh, your married, right? Yeah. Correct? Yeah. How does your relationship with your wife factor into all this? Cause I, I think that's something that like just as artists and songwriters, we don't really get a glimpse of that too often. We're really scared to like let other people into such a vulnerable and personal place. And I don't want to push you there if you don't want to go there, but I'm just curious if, if how that might have helped or affected one year, your, your process and all this. And, and two, like, at least for me, like my wife is my greatest producer because she knows me. And so when I write a song that's not true about me, she'll, she'll tell me and, and, and be like, I don't, I don't hear you in this. And so I, 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 I'd, I'd love to know if you're willing to talk about any of that, just how that kind of factors into you. Yeah. Uh, that's, it's a huge factor. Um, Tessa and I performed for the first time together at our wedding. Wow. So we were in a touring band for a decade together. So we are intimately entangled in the artistic process together. That being said, it's harder to be in a band with someone than it is to be married to them, <laughs> in my experience. Yeah. You know what? Agreed. And I've never processed that till now. Oh, Go ahead. Totally. is so hard. Um, you hit on it perfectly. Opening up some of the most vulnerable parts of your heart that you've created and saying, like, what do you think? Mm-hmm. So hard. Mm-hmm. Um and what, I mean, most of our conflicts over the years, even before we were friends, were around art. She didn't like my art. Uh, she 
generally does now. <laughs> but but At it's least she's it's, honest. It's not. Uh, she's super honest. You won't. There's there's. I've never seen her like not be honest mm-hmm. in the 15 years I've known her. Yeah. She just is a straightforward person. That's incredible. Uh, and so like she actually can't. She she tries to like not be sneaky. It's it's, it's, a, it's a whole mess of comedy. Um, <laughs> But so it's like, that is hard. And so like for years, like we just, you know, trying to co-write records and stuff was such, it's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. So like, if you're like, why isn't Destroying It Alan written in song in a while? It's like, cause it's a lot of work yeah, and is. we really have to have a lot of space to be able to be common. We in wrote that. a baby instead. Leave totally. us alone. <laughs> um, we wrote genetic code. <laughs> no, it's, it's a little different. Um, <laughs> so like that was, that was a, big factor in in that part of my process that being said she is my champion and my producer and believes in me and so like everything gets passed by her and she has to give the approval so on this record she produced the vocals and she was the songwriting producer so like that's awesome i'd be like hey here's the thought and we'd run through every little line and make sure it all locked and was clear and she'd be like what do you mean by that phrase you know like because i mean i i I believe in mystery and complication and right. art, but you don't want to be like that. Doesn't make any sense in the context of the song. Like right. that, that's a it's cheap. Yeah, it's it's a it's not done. Yeah. So like she is really key to be like, yeah, that song's okay. You should go finish it. Like she'll totally be like, gosh, that hurts. I know that feeling. <laughs> you know it hurts, but like I've got a song that the last couple of records I haven't put the best song on the record, mm-hmm. um, which I don't know what that means, but I, <laughs> I've I've not put the best song. Um, and there was one that she was just like, I showed it to her. I was happy with it. You know, it's catchy. She's like, yeah, it's not done. And so like, and she's not like, you know, patronizing me. She's just right. like, yeah, I think you can do better. Like, and so I go back to my room and I swap out some sentences and swap out some lines and come back. And she's like, that's a good song. Yeah. And so like, she's a huge part of the process. And this album would not happen without her, uh, without her believing that there was some essential value in what the way we live our life and the way that this album came together like i mean i've i had the fortunate support to have those five minutes or that 20 minutes and her saying this is important like you know i saturday i'm working on some other projects and i was like i you know my saturday would be the best if i could go just to the office and work right on creative projects and she's like go go do it like she understands the value and the need, and so she's super encouraging that way. Yeah, it's incredible, man. Yeah, it's a, it's a gift. I mean, that record that I wrote, super vulnerable, super intense, super emotional, and super took a cost. It, it had a cost on us, and she was willing to pay it. Yeah. So you talk a lot about DIY, and we've talked a lot about this record and how it came to be about from almost like a. a kind of a it's all up in the ethers right now but on the practical side of it um did you record this record somewhere did you do it yourself um you know how what what the recording process like the actual like kind of nitty-gritty what's that look like for you i'm not good at microphones (laughs) (laughs) i i just i'm just not good i i actually have intentions to build my basement into a studio but i'm gonna have to have some more coaching to how to do that all right let's hang out let's do it because I, I, I I'm that. like I love teaching people that I'm kind of I'm working on that piece of it. Um, I had John Terry work with me, 
and we worked at a place called B-Side Live down in Olathe, a studio that he works out of. And John's, he's really good at mics and tone and telling me when I'm like at a key or sharp or flat. I can't tell. Right. Like I'm, I, I just, my part of it was I need to capture the emotion and I want to perform that. Like that's, that was my deal. Yeah. And the songs, I wanted to like make sure the songs were right. So that was my deal. And it took us maybe five weeks to get there, uh, to go through kind of a, a full instrumental large version of the record and then kind of settle on this quiet version, uh, which was more where my heart was. Uh, so yeah, I worked with him and it was really his, his audio expertise. And then there was another element where it's just like, man, I really want to have all these soundscapes and these other instruments on the record that I can't play at that point. So I, again, put out a Facebook post and said, who wants to make some noise on my record? And the first seven people that volunteered got a got a job it's awesome <laughs> i loved the ethereal soundscape behind oh thank you stuff. it, it was so like i just was like hey who, who can do it and then i had a few friends that i knew like oh like mike's living with me right now i can have him do this part that i have a vision for or my friend tyson who i've made records with before like he's really getting into noise like i can give him a song that i think is actually good for his skill set and so that was in that part i was definitely the producer i was kind of like wearing the hat of like how do I want this whole thing to sound? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I read an interview where Brian Wilson from the Beach Boys with Pet Sounds on most of his records, he didn't play most of the instruments. He just kind of said, this is what I want. Right. And he had it in his head. Yeah. And so I tried to put on that hat of like, you know, I have this vision. How do I get this vision on paper? Um, and stick to my strengths and then let other people do what they do better than me. Mm-hmm. Um, which I, I contributed a few parts of the noise, but... uh it was more the the conductor hat I got to right, wear, right. Mm-hmm. which is fun. Yeah, I think that's a smart, mature way to go about it. I I think there's there's a lot of artists that that it's they don't want that to happen. Like they're a bit f- fearful of that moment where we're like, you know what, like you're doing a great job, but like if you let this person into your scope, like this record will turn out ten times better. It'd be quicker and cheaper, and you're gonna love it because you can sit back and actually ingest what's happening you don't have to surround yourself with it yeah you know you don't even play this instrument like let's let's bring somebody else in and but that that, it takes a bit of maturity or or just a bit of like gritting your teeth and going okay i'll trust you yeah (laughs) Yeah. for me it's exciting Mm -hmm. because it gets to be i get to become a project manager and i get to like conduct it yeah which Mm -hmm. is much more fun for me like to to be like hey let's let's take these parts you're really good like there's a my friend tambor played harp on the record She's a world-class harp player. And I'm like, hey, Tambra, can you do these two things for me? And so I got to have this like, this, this, this role that I could never play harp, but I got to have harp on the record because I was able to like, convey a vision to her. And so that was, that's really fun to me. I'm, I'm a project. I love seeing the things in the cloud delivered into the tangible. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. like one of my jams. So. Yeah, that's good, man. Well, you, you mentioned that... Uh, you like putting on the the producer hat or the con, you know the conductor hat. Let's talk about your hats. Let's talk about some of the other hats that you wear. Yeah, you, you said, do a you, lot you, of said stuff. You, you do a lot of stuff, and uh, you know I, I think people are starting to get a glimpse of who you are as an artist and a person. Uh, I always find it vastly interesting when you realize that 
Like not only does this writer or this singer that you love do this one thing, but they also have this other totally crazy thing that you're like, you've never even knew they would do. And I, I think it's fun to just hear about life and what all things interest you. These are the hats that come to mind. Um, I've got three active bands, so I juggle what priority needs to be placed. Uh, Good St. Nathaniel is the one I'm focused on in the season, but the other ones still exist. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I have a kid. I have a marriage. I have a house. Um, I'm pretty good at the marriage and the kid thing. The house thing is way beyond my uh, understanding of how to take care of. Mm-hmm. So. That's that's a piece. Uh, <laughs> I'm working on trying to become a writer, like of of words and books. And so I'm that's current. What I was working on yesterday was some book projects. I'm trying to get to print ready, um, which is a uh, something that a couple of years ago I would not have had on my scope. I'm also actually trying to learn how to play drums, which is totally a trip too. Uh, that's awesome. But it's that's like lately I've just been playing drums, <laughs> like. I, yeah, that's exciting. Uh, and the other part that pays our bills is we have a tax business, which I think is what we were talking about earlier. And so we do taxes and business services for average people and for touring bands specifically. So we have a, a handful of clients all over the country that we're handling finance and kind of overseeing their their organization and from a here this is the tax you have to pay this is how the best uh, handle your structure and stuff how did you get into that 10 years ago tessa needed a job and she was just like i'll do anything and she walked into a tax office in portland out on the tip of a friend and they hired her to be a receptionist and then they offered to put her through tax school when she survived the tax season which yeah. is Quite a bit like retail if you've worked in retail over the holidays. It's mm-hmm. like um, elongated Black Friday. Yeah, it's just, it's intense. <laughs> and so that for for quite a few years enabled us to tour. So we'd she would have this solid chunk of work for four months or so where she could make an adult wage. And then it's the kind of job that says, We don't have any money for you, so you should totally go on tour. That's a great yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so like you know, you have a six-month chunk where they don't need you again, which is phenomenal if you're a, an artist that wants to have regular, steady income and the ca- capacity to travel. And so that that enabled us for years, and then we moved here, and the business, we didn't really intend to build a business. That's a whole another thing we're still even figuring out. Yeah. But, like, it grew. And so we had people that would approach us and say, hey, you're good at this. Would you do it? And she's a federally licensed, so she's got all the like the knowledge. And then also being a touring artist herself, we got the skill set. So we're like, oh, this is our touring documents and this is how we like how we can help you bring some structure to your your organization. And some people really like like we were talking about the the conductor hats. Like we work with people that are just brilliant musicians that this is just not their deal. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. their brains freeze around taxes. It's I get very anxious. confused. Yeah, like they get, get anxious, anxious. Like especially yeah. if there's been some past trauma around money, mm-hmm. or in my case, my family was was really tense around money. So I'm constantly unlearning that like that tension moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
And I think most touring bands are like, what the heck is money? Yeah. And I mean, but some, you know, we, we understand where the break even point is and we help people like, you know, how to pay the least amount of tax possible. Right. And so we're not like when somebody rocks to us like, oh man, I'm like, life is so crazy. I'm this weirdo musician. And we're like, <laughs> yeah, not, that's not really weird. That's yeah. just like part of our, our, our deal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's how we got into it, and that's grown to have uh, some other elements to it. And I also, because I like the the production side of things, I went to school for business. Mm-hmm. So like when Tessa was doing taxes, I pursued a business degree. Oh, nice. And so I got a, a degree between tours, and so I get to be more of the like communication, let's get this, let's move forward in this yeah. way in this area. Do you feel like you you got a lot out of that business degree? I think if you work in business, people, specifically in finance, people want to know that you have some experience. Yeah. So I think that helps. And it also qualifies me to be able to walk into a place that says, I want you to have a degree behind your name, um, which in the business world is is, is a necessary door sure. opener. You at least have some of the prerequisites that they yeah. want you to know about. And it, years ago, there was a band called 800 Octane, and they're in Portland. I think they might even still be a band. Uh, they were one, th- one of the longest-running punk bands from early 90s. They're a super good skate punk band. And we were, I was talking to them, and he's like, you know, early on we saw a lot of our friends... Their bands break up when they're 31, and that's all they've done. Mm-hmm. And then they're lost. And they're lost. You know, they're not qualified to, like, do anything but minimum wage work. <laughs> yeah. And they're they're super... It's a hard place to be in. So he's like, so we... This is my friend Eric talking. Went and all got trades. Yeah. So one guy's a mailman. One guy's a... Uh, works overseas. And, like... Uh, I mean, they all had, like, legit jobs. And they're like, you know what happened? All of our friends, all of our friends' bands broke up, and we kept going. We toured less than some of them, but we stayed as a band, and the band didn't have to carry the full weight of their like existence. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I took that to heart. I was like, that's Mm -hmm. good advice. Like that's that's the kind of stuff that I gotta hold on. So I went to school to make sure that I didn't have to only write songs for the rest of my life. Like, which takes some of the pressure off. Yeah, that, that's a humongous thing that, like, I'm just con- constantly preaching at artists all the time because pe- we, we meet so many people um, that you just they just want to be artists. They want to make art. They want to make great art. And, and when you ask them, it's like, well, how long would you like to make this art? And they say, well, I want my whole life. I want to be a songwriter forever. And it's like, okay, well... Like, let's practically look at this. Let's, and, and let's also look at your skill set, your actual brain, the things you're interested in, what you're capable of, what you can handle. Like, are you ready for, like, the system that it takes or the monstrosity that it takes to be nothing but an artist forever? And, yeah. and, and realizing that that's a small percentage who can actually, like, even mentally, like, handle that. And, 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 and remove, like, what you said is, 
I think is absolutely crucial. Remove the weight from your art and your heart that says that my heart and my brain and all the esoteric things that surround my spirit have to pay my bills because yeah. that's ridiculous. And, and, and it puts so much weight on something that, that doesn't need that kind of weight. Like you don't need to connect writing a hook to how much money it will make me. Well, I mean, from a practical standpoint, because I get to stare at numbers, mm-hmm. I know that not that many people only do art right, or only do their, their passion project. Most people are juggling a few things. Uh, they're 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 carrying multiple hats, you know. Like that guy, yeah, that guy tours, you know, so many months a year, but he also comes home and sells like slings pizzas or or drives Uber or something. So like realizing that it's a really hard thing to break through. Um, there has to be some significant momentum to your project to where that's all you get to do, and there is a very large gap between. I put out a record and and I have enough money coming in to where I can feed and support a life, like maybe a family, kids, a house, that sort of stuff. Like that's a really large gap. And I mean, with most touring bands having like, you know, splitting a hundred bucks after a tour, like it's probably <laughs> the average like DIY, like yeah. band. it's not a whole lot. Like we didn't for years we we could pay our bills on tour. That's yeah. that's like kind of what we did. We right. didn't really mm-hmm. like come home with money. Yeah. Break even. Well, that's the thing. Even like we we could sometimes come home with like, ten or twelve grand after a tour. And that's a really successful, like on the scale of like bands, right? Mm-hmm. But even then, you're like, well, this isn't like no, this doesn't even compare to me working at Forever Twenty One, which I did in high school. Like you know, like totally. And and to, so you could have a tour where you come home, you broke even, you paid all your merch bills, you paid your manager, you paid all these people, and you everybody got like. 1200 bucks and you're like we, and go, we better get to work throw immediately some taxes, taxes yeah. in there and like some actual expenses and you're mm. like damn Crap. well like that could have stayed home yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah you, you, you <laughs> so it's not a music is not a profitable endeavor if, you, if you're looking for security in life yeah. at all uh f- unless some fate takes over and and momentum momentum is built there's some there's some debate. I'm a big fan of this guy, Ari Herstand, who talks about, he has a book called Ari's Take, or a website, Ari's Take, and he has a book called How to Make It in the Music Business. And he's a big preacher that's not really up to luck, so I'm kind of trying to recalibrate my brain. Right. Mm-hmm. But I, I I would agree with him. I don't think there's there's necessarily luck, but there has to be a breakthrough on a on a very large scale where that's all you can do artistically is is pay your bills by writing hooks. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's cal- – how did I say this word? Calculatable? <laughs> Calculatable? Up. Yeah. What, I think that there is a way to do it. I just think that, like, there are so few people that can push through all of those elements, even if – like, I think you can look at, like, a path that any large, large, like, lifelong, you know, legendary artist has taken – they're very similar roads like that have led them there. And I don't think it's like purely math and just hooks. Yeah. I think that it's just, there's, there's so much perseverance and patience and so much like radical need for insane talent and insatiable personality that like can have nothing else. It's this, and it's the same reason that I like, our entire generation is like, I want to be an entrepreneur. And I would tell, I tell most people and most friends who like look at Sean and I and go, Oh cool. You guys have had your own businesses for 10 years. And it's like, yeah. And they're like, cool. How do I do that? I'm like, 
go. I don't know. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> yeah. Like if you don't if you can ha- do if you can do yeah anything, anything else, else totally do it do it yeah. like don't and be an entrepreneur yeah. don't no. be an artist for like an only an artist unless you absolutely cannot fathom doing anything else because it's not for you unless you cannot fathom doing anything it's else. It's a hard life. Yeah. I mean, I've been some version of self-employed for a long time. And it there is there's a, a cost in the amount of work it takes and never getting to go home, uh, and, and never, yeah, just never. I'm I'm not good at turning it off. I'm getting having to work on that intentionally. Like it's just not, it's not for everybody. I mean, we we constantly weigh the pros and cons of like our <laughs> life, and you know, I don't know, like how much, how many more years we want taxes to be the only thing that like. Yeah brings in the tangible money and like i mean i don't i want to keep writing songs and do that a whole bunch and hopefully that takes the turn it needs to but like you know if it doesn't i think having for me having that degree i can walk into a place and be like hey consider me is is huge and tessa having being an enrolled agent means she can walk into any tax office in the country and they'll hire her on the spot so like that's really great because i don't have to be like we don't have to make music the whole thing. And, and I mean, you, you hit on the, like the, the career artists are the ones I'm interested in. Like, what do they do to keep writing songs? Like, it's really easy to say this band is big. And, but because we've worked with some bands for a long time, I can be like, and I know what they do to sustain it. Like, I know how many tours they're doing, what they're like, like, you know, like, Oh, this band is super famous. I'm like, well, yeah, they got famous because this label helped them out and they had like a good break early on in perception. And then they, you know, have worked steadily for another 15 years and that's why they can sell out that club. Right. Like, and not only that, oftentimes we hear that big break story. Yeah. But we don't hear the eight and a half years before that no, big break. Well, the, the Flaming Lips, uh, have you seen the, It's Fearless Freaks, their documentary? Mm-hmm. Super good. Um, and it's good for me for one specific reason. They have a, a story where they say, like, when we started, you know, they got on a major label, so they had some, they were in the 90s when the, everything got. Yeah, you know, when it was good. When you could get on a major label. <laughs> you could label get on a major label for having some, like, something going not even a very yeah. big thing right and uh, they're like well we just wanted to you know be the butthole surfers yeah <laughs> and so like they showed a video of flaming lips and the butthole surfers back and forth and it was yeah. the same band yeah. like that's all we wanted to be and which by the way a guy from the butthole surfers is playing westport saloon in a few weeks so go see him nice. uh but like so like they were uh they're like this is who we wanted to be and then we just kept playing and our competition quit mm-hmm. and outliving out last we just kept going and eventually we figured out some of what makes us us and what our personality was and you know what their distinctives were and now we're the flaming lips yeah. Yeah. like and it was like <laughs> so it was like for me it was like oh it's such a marathon versus a sprint and yeah. i'm as a workaholic i'm all about the sprint right. right and so like realizing like there was a whole element of recalibration that I've taken which is why that record took five years to write um, because I was like I've I need to like work it yeah like and and slow down my approach like because I realized that I was not working things to completion yeah mm-hmm. and I didn't even know what that was so like um, 
Dude, the long game is where it's at. I yeah. mean, it, like it, I, I think this, that's just my, I guess my personal opinion, but if you're an artist at your core and you know, like these songs are, will always come out of me and I always want to do this. And realistically, I'd love to do it at a big enough scale that it mattered to the world and I could help churn my emotions into it, you know, and we could all kind of live and breathe some of these same words and same feelings. And, and maybe I can put color into the world. Uh, that long game is so massive, but we just, it, it's unfortunate that, that we, we're still coming in up in this era of, of musicians who are, are still doing things the same way that they were done 20, 30, 40 years ago with the same mentalities of that we've always had. And, and it's so interesting to be in this, you know, you're talking about a, a book about like the new music industry and, and knowing that like there's no book or blog post that can keep up with the ever-changing scope of what it is and that there's no rules anymore. There's a few that like you can follow if like you want to end up in Hollywood or like on Disney records or something. There's a few things. Yeah. But like, you know, being rich is one of them, which good luck. Like, I don't know how yeah, you, I don't know you just, how you just magically that. do that, I think. But but there is one of the things is like there, I, I, I kind of, my, my brain goes back and forth because there there's that inevitability of, of most people, like you shouldn't put all the weight on your art because like realistically at some point, six years into it, you're going to throw it all away because you're fed up because your art and your heart didn't provide you satisfaction in paying your bills. And all of a sudden now you hate your art and you don't ever want to do that again because you just lived pain for six years and in and, and poverty for six years. And yeah. now you're scared and you don't know who you are or why you did that. But I think there also is a humongous opportunity as an artist more so than I think ever to like, and, and I think, our careers, although not super vast as artists, like there's no reason that I like myself was able to write songs and with no major label, no like you know, humongous manager, no like tour support was able to just go out and pay my bills for almost a decade until I decided like, Hey, let's build a studio or I didn't decide to build a studio, but until we decided like, Hey, let's, let's go a different direction. Like, the quote unquote new music industry like has so many openings and so many ladders and so many ways for you to say, Hey, I make art. Let's figure this out. Cause like I need to make such and such amount of dollars to, to pay my bills. It, like you can reverse engineer a music career so easily if you're willing to, and if you're willing to be like, unromantic about that business side yeah. and and just go like hey i'm gonna separate these brains all the creativity and the weight goes away from my art and all the practicality and like me being an entrepreneur and a business person goes on this other side and i'm gonna separate those but i'm gonna realize that like if realistically i want to write songs for a living and realistically i need to make three thousand dollars a month how do i reverse and engineer that and look at the scope of like well it's not going to come from record sales most likely but it could come from touring it could come from merchandising it could come from like hey how do i figure out how to like get on the right tour how do i figure out how to get on the right spotify playlist or how do i figure out how to like build a youtube following or how do i figure out how to like create a completely different system that is 
unique to me or, or start my own podcast or start my own this or that. Like, like, and those are just like the little obvious things, but there's so many intricacies to how you can actually make money with the internet and, and with your phone and with social media and, and, and literally just like conjuring attention can actually like birth you a music career. It's just like, like you said, like, I think that the only way, and I think your your personality is great for this, the only way to actually have this career in music where it pays your bills is to in some way have a strain of that workaholic in you, knowing that like the workaholic doesn't have to drive you into the ground, but that uh, that willingness to do what it takes and to work 18 hours a day if you need to for a little while, like that is how it's going to happen. And that building that consistency within all of these new ideas and these new endeavors, they're going to be what actually makes it happen. Probably not just you wrote a great song. Probably not just you did a good tour. Probably not you just are really good looking. I think those are all like helpful things. That they really are, help me. They're definitely going to dramatically improve like like what you look like to the world, like from a success standpoint. But I think you like the flaming lips absolutely said it right. I outlasted everyone else. Like I just kept doing my thing and, and I just kept doing it aggressively and I kept doing it as me, as a true person. I just want to be whatever this is. I'm going to figure that out and I'm going to be regular about it. And, and I think that in and of itself is, is the hurdle that most people aren't willing to jump over because it's like, uh, I put four records out. What else do they want? It's like, well, they would like five or six or seven. Yeah. And and maybe 12. And you just have, like, if you really want to do it, like, treat it like a job. It's, treat it like a life, you know? It's a consistent life choice. Yeah. I mean, we, every once in a while, we get something cool to happen. And the answer is just, well, we've been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't have any other, like, other than I've been friends with them for a decade. Yeah. So we're we're hanging out, like, that's that's the answer like it's the the consistency and the longevity like i mean and i'm because i don't want to be a workaholic i that my part of the reverse in engineering is how do i do this in a way that doesn't take more of a toll on my family than it needs yeah. to that was that was a very i'm guessing that comes down to scheduling i'm not good at scheduling no? so like <laughs> i mean i'm good at i'm good at i'm good at some aspects of it for me it comes down to security hmm. and like Almost every musician I know is a workaholic, and so that's why I haven't been on the road for a while. Like, and by the, for me being on the road is months and months. So, like, if I do a weekend, I don't even consider that a tour. Same. Sure, yeah. Like, just a, playing a couple shows. weeks. You know, I don't even know if that's a tour. Like, so like for me, I I still do that stuff, but I'm not like going. Yeah. Um, because I realize that that for me is not how I want to live my life, and so like realizing there are ways to do this that don't require the cost on your family and your loved ones. And maybe that means you get to the destination a little slower, but I think you can get there with less scars and less fallout. Yeah. Um, so I think that for me, the, the music industry is an incredibly toxic place because it's a bunch of other workaholics. Right. Um, and so really trying to figure out how do I function in this space with the drive I need and the intention I need without being a slave to the process where I can't focus on what I, what my different priorities. So like, it's, it's a hard thing. Like I'm I trying to reverse engineer the whole, the, 
the whole thing, like I've got, I've got a, the most intense spreadsheet that anybody yeah. I know has ever seen. It's like, these are the 17 things I'm doing to market this record. And each right. one of those is a bullet point, which were ever since eight hours. Like, so it's like, there's a ton of like study into all of this. Um, but realizing like my end goal is not to work 60 hours a week. You know, my end goal is to, to work a reasonable amount of money or reasonable amount of pace that doesn't cost my family, like the way that I, the cost that I had to pay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, in, in the great thing I think about the reverse engineering in 2019 is that that reverse engineer and that plan only has to come from the goal in which you have set out in front of you because there literally is no right way to do it anymore. Like it, it, and you know, go back 50 years, like there was four or five steps that you had to do yeah. or no one will know you. But now it's like, dude, freaking Yoda boy. He's sitting at Walmart. Like he just went into Walmart after Walmart to gas station, gas station, yodeling some Hank Williams <laughs> junior songs. And now he's like playing Coachella. And like, you, you telling me that there is a way to do this now? Yeah. Like, there's just not. Like, there's so many people that we look at, and, and, and not even just, like, novelty, like the, the yodel kid, like, <laughs> like, but, like, real artists that we look at now and that have a, a dramatic impact on the world, and you're like, they did not come up in any conventional way whatsoever. Yeah. A lot of and, and they didn't. Yeah, that that's the key holders are gone. Yeah, I yeah. think that's his point. Well, is there especially for anymore. you when you're like, dude, I, I'm just trying to pay my bills and well, have I a think great they, life. I think their key holders are still there. I think labels still form a perception piece that can sure. accelerate someone's. Career. I'm not saying they don't exist. Spotify. I'm just saying I mean, that play, their their with, keys aren't exclusive. Yeah, yeah, they're not. Yeah, I think there's a. The world is open. In, in relative terms than it ever had more open than it's ever been before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is, I mean, for me, I, I went through a period of years where I felt hopeless around the perceptions of making money playing music. And I mean, full disclosure, I, I'm definitely not a full-time musician at this point. Um, but my perception was you couldn't do it anymore. Like it's just, it's just over. Nobody buys records anymore. You have to tour to live, to live a life. I don't really want to tour like I did before and realizing like there was a, there's a hopelessness. And now that I'm staring at numbers and reverse engineering certain aspects and studying new, new people, Ari Herstand's a great one. Um, his book's actually totally legit. And then he's a, but he's also realizing like, Oh man, I've learned something better. So now he's, I'm actually taking a course that he has written after his book. Yeah. Um, but his book's one of the best things I've ever seen on the music world. Wow. Um, and it's been super helpful for aspects of what I have done recently, but like realizing like there is, there is paths that I can, um, take that it just are different. So mm-hmm. yeah, so I'm working. Yeah. I, I love how it's just all unraveling into something that no one ever saw coming and just all the new avenues because, you know, I, I, I remember, 2006 2007 like the entire music industry was trying to figure out how how do we do about myspace yeah and like how we build a career around myspace and then all you know that kind of started slowly dissolving and then we were trying to figure out facebook and we're just it's so crazy how quickly it evolves and go ahead two weird things about that so like i started touring really in 2007 that's like when i jumped in a van um 
for my first tour. It was a six month tour. Um, but my friends had toured a few years before that. And so they got to tour when I, I call it the glory days where you could call a place and get a hotel. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I never got that. So like, I, I never had that experience. Um, but so being, speaking of my space, my first tour was six months long, 140 dates, me alone in the van, self-booked, self, self-sustaining is because I would drive. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so I was just thinking about this other day, like, so the first part of the tour was like, was all booked because that's what you do. You book, I knew how to book tours. So I, I got that going and I ran out of dates when I got to Florida and I had been sick, so I didn't book anymore. And so what I decided to do as I kind of was felt this decision, stopped, prayed, thought, kind of pondered my fate. I could either call my family and get a Greyhound ticket and come home, or I could reverse engineer my way home. And because MySpace was glorious, you could search <laughs> shows by zip code, yeah. Yeah. and you could get where you're going. I booked three months of a U.S. tour a day in advance to get myself home and around wow. the country. So like I'd wake up in the morning, I would go to the local library. You can get an hour of free internet. I'd use that to look two days in advance where I was, you know, where I wanted to be. Maybe it was Nashville, Lexington, like, you know, look where I was generally going. And I'd send off a bunch of forum emails. Like here's, I just wrote people for an hour until I slowed, spammed out their system. And, but I, and then I'd drive to that day's gig. Mm-hmm. And then I'd wake up and do it again. Yeah. And I did it again. Checking your email. Somebody give me a show. Go All on. the way. And I'd get one, like consistently. Like sometimes it'd be a couple offers. Like, you know, my, my email said, I can I play um, 10 to 15 minutes? Like, I don't care if I play in that, that moment before the show starts, awkwardly in between bands at the yeah. end, wherever you want to put me. I can guarantee a sing along and I, uh, you don't have to pay me. Yeah. Like, just let me set up merch. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. I, and I worked my way home using MySpace because yeah. uh, it was such a cool tool to like yeah. be able to hustle. Yeah. Uh, which nothing else has fully Yeah, it's not that. like that anymore no. at all. Like it's hard. Like I've yeah. tried to get super into the last minute stuff and it's 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 a higher mountain to climb than it used to be. Yeah, well, and, and I think that that's probably somewhat from like we have this thought in our head like, oh, no, but nobody likes music anymore because nobody's buying music when in reality more music's being listened to than ever before in all of history. And with that, more artists or people are being inspired and so more people can put out more music. And so we're just so inundated with just so much music and so many artists. But, you know, I think they're... Uh, yeah, I think that things are just changing. But because you you talk to guys, you know, when we had... um, Bob and Una in here, and he was talking about touring and you know, like the 70s and 80s and these, you know, the the, the tour buses, arena and the, bands, the, and stuff, the major yeah. labels, and you know, and and like we we would call ourselves like we full time musicians and full time touring artists, and I never stepped foot <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a touring van in an arena a few times, but very rarely. And it's just I played a few arenas, but those people weren't there to see me. <laughs> yeah, the whole system is just it's just. It's just changing so much, but and, and but some of it is obviously still there. That big time, big thing, it still exists. It, it's bigger than People ever. People sell at the Sprint Center. Yeah, like. it, it's bigger than ever, but it's just changing, and I kind of love it. You know, I'm I'm over. I'm kind of over that conversation of like how it used to be or yeah. what it's ever been, because in re- reality, it's like. I think the healthiest thing for us to do as artists is to go, hey, dude, it's it's April thirtieth and t- twenty nineteen. 
what's the world like? Like, what do I need yeah. to do? Like, how can I step in to, to myself as an artist and, and create art that I really care about? And how can I include others in this world that, that, that like are like me, you know, and to be able to, to not be so cons- granted, like I get it. We got to pay our bills somehow. Like we got to put gas in the van and buy the t-shirts and, and or, or maybe we don't, you know, but like being an artist, like doesn't cost anything at all emotionally it might but like from a standpoint like if you can like have if you have an instrument if you have a pencil and you have a pad of paper then you have got all the things that you need at least to be an artist and create art and to be able to like take your soul and put it out into the world like it's it's free and you can have it and and the world can be changed because you did that simple like act whether it's the whole world or whether it's your world and it's a few people or it's your kid or it's your your wife or your parents or your friends or your friend group or your church or your whatever it is like I, like I think if we can just get back to the fact as artists, like, do we're like peel off all that pressure, peel off all that stuff that says like, well, I have to tour or I have to put out a record or I have to. Those are just things that you can do. Those are just parts of things that you that are available to do as an artist. But I, there's too many like young artists and I think this happens in every single pocket of particularly media media like whether it's youtubers or or it's, it's songwriters or 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 filmmakers or photographers like we see other people have success and because we want to reverse engineer what they did and follow that path we think that that like if we don't complete you know that path or connect the dots that they did, somehow we have failed and somehow we have let ourselves down or people down or we'll never be able to make it because like, well, I didn't do it right. When when it's just like, dude, this is art. And and, and if you want to mix art and business, yes, that, that has its own, you know, set of problems and, and, and maybe um, you might have some battles in there that you're going to have to overcome and you're going to have to figure out how to make that work. But in reality, like, it just seems like if, if, if I look at business and, and running businesses and I look at music and I look at art and I look at all together, it's like, it's all totally possible. Just, you just have to figure out where do you want to go and how do I get there? Let's reverse engineer it. Let's think about it. Let's form groups. Let's form friends. Let's sit around a table with coffee and food and talk about it and brainstorm. Cause more often than not, the majority of the people who are smart enough and intelligent enough to put words and chords together are also smart enough to like send an email and book a show or like make a friend at a, at a record store and, 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 and build a following. Like, you know, it's not, it's not as hard as we're making this mentality of being artists and being musicians and having community and having life come out of that. Like it's, it doesn't have to be just this massive, like, well, if I'm not, if I don't, if my career doesn't look like the 1975 or it doesn't look like a number one hit or it doesn't look like everyone knows me, then I, I've somehow failed. Well, nobody has a worldwide popularity. There's lots of people that hate you too. Yeah. Especially and, after that free album. Yeah, free one. I've got to hate him for that one. Gosh, uh, made no, the whole thing made no sense to me. I think the, the massiveness of the undertaking to become a career artist is a huge, huge thing. Right. Um, and it's super overwhelming to think about. Like, how do I get, you know, to where I can sell out, you know, Record Bar or Granada or 
or Sprint Center, like that's a huge question that is going to depress the biggest optimist in the world. Yeah. How do you do the next necessary step? Yeah. That's not that hard. Yeah. How do you put words words and songs together? How, How do you, you know plan a tour when I have this conversation with people. I'm like, you get out a spreadsheet and a map and yeah. you, you yeah. draw a picture <laughs> of where you want to go in your mind and you just or you look at a band that's done it before that's a little bigger than you and you you copy their tour route. Yeah. That's like literally the best way ever. Mm-hmm. Like and, and and then you know like you know that somebody plays in Minneapolis and Chicago and then you say where did they play? Oh, yeah. they played the elbow room. Okay, all the elbow, the elbow room. Like yeah, like that's how you do it. Like and 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 you just do one thing at a time. And so like, it's how do you eat an elephant? Tusk first. <laughs> one bite it's at like a time. It's like a jawbreaker, man. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, so it's just that. Like it's just one. Like what's the next necessary step? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, like maybe there's a lot of necessary steps to get to your goal. So I put them on paper and I attempt to like check them off, like schedule it out. And like, I mean, there is no way that my record would have been completed, promoted, any of that stuff if I hadn't listed it out. And I'm like, so like, what am I doing? I'm jumping in my Excel spreadsheet. I'm looking at what's today's date. What should I try to be focusing on today? That's so that's what I'm going to do. If I can, you know, get halfway there, I'm a little behind. Okay. I go back and focus on those tasks and that. That takes the immensity of the situation and brings it down to a practical task that I need to send four emails today. And I can send four emails, you know, and then, you know, I move forward, take a step forward. Yeah. That, that, I think that's so crucial. Just you want to be an artist, be one every day. But you don't have to be all of it every day. You can't. Yeah. Like you I can't. four emails, man. Yeah. My, my process is sometimes I catch songs, sometimes I write songs, sometimes I tour. But those are very, those aren't the same day. Like the song catching thing tends to kind of interrupt the others, but like, but if I'm getting real technical about recording or like crafting out a record, like that's an intentional season. Like I'm not doing everything else at that season. Like I have to, for me, I have to be like really chiseled on one thing. Yeah. And I think that scope can change a little bit. Like if, if, if you're making goals and you say, well, I want to be the next Kanye West, it's like, well, your, your day to day might, look a lot different yeah because you've got a bigger mountain to climb um and, and i think that's that comes back to a bit of a bit of self-awareness in that regard and in that process like being incredibly crucial like is that really what you want and and i think that's something that like we need to be looking at as artists like what actually is this all for not not be because like i you know if, if one of my favorite artists is famous that I don't to be like my favorite artist that I want to emulate or that I idolize. It doesn't mean that I have to actually live their life. Yeah, I don't actually have to marry someone that looks like them or have as many kids as them or live in the same town. I don't have to do that. Like we need to be able to like look at ourselves and answer that question. Like what what do I want this to look like in fifty years? Like you might not want it. Yeah, you might not. And you might not even want to put that pressure on yourself and just and just say like, "Hey, I'm gonna write some songs today because that's neat to me." I mean, I think it would be great to be self-sustaining, uh, but I I there's an element of me that's liking quiet and silence and mm-hmm. space and peace. Yeah, and playing with Legos with my daughter like those are elements of things that I don't want to give up. And I think there's an element of the part of me that was a workaholic and that's trying to split that off. Um, 
that had a hard time embracing those small things. And I think that they actually are what life is good. Good life is good when it's pieced together by small interactions for me. Yeah. Like personal stuff. That's interesting. And Sean and I have been talking about the mentality of working from rest. And it yeah. seems like mm-hmm. you're you're kind of letting that play out in your I'm life. Trying right now. to. Mm-hmm. I mean it's uh I got a lot of unlearning to do. Yeah. <laughs> I think we all do. So take it to a, a just a kind of more just fun and not serious place at all. Um, I hear some things like you're, you're a mashup of three different artists in my brain, but I'm curious where your, your musical inspiration came from just for maybe this project or for you as a whole. Can I hear the three artists? Yeah. So to me, I hear three artists and I hate saying these cause I don't know if you're going to be like, well, that's offensive. Well, um, one, I won't be offended. Okay. <laughs> and, and two, I'm always curious what the question Well, is. so you, you are, are a three way mix for me of uh like a me without you meets a connor oberst meets a johnny cash okay this is this is what i there's these elements of 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 um hushness and vibrato that i feel from the connor oberst bright eyes thing there's some poetry and imagery poetry that's mixed with silliness that's mixed with oh my gosh that's way deeper than silliness that really is that whole aaron yeah, yeah, yeah. That Aaron thing for me without you. And then there's some haunting truths that I felt and these these longer sentences that I think are going to take me somewhere that change and I'm like, oh, that are really Johnny Cash. And those are the yeah, three yeah. things that I, I caught from this record. Just on the first listen, I was like, I just kept, they kept poking them their heads out. Yeah, no, I think those are all, um, those are all valid comparisons. Uh, so my inspiration for this record, that was the question? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, just where, where does that musical inspiration come from? Well, there is there is an element of a swell in a Me Without You song that I love. Mm-hmm. Um, the best band that I know of here in Kansas City that does that is Listener. Um, so there was an element of emulation that I think I sat at for specifically with within my notes of like that one of things to swell and to go back and forth. And I like Aaron's lyrics, um, so that's cool. I, there was an element in two thousand and six that I wrote a collection of songs that sounded a whole lot like bread eyes mm-hmm. we all did i think in, i think yeah I, I made a tweet one time i was like how many people in 2006 wrote a record right after i'm wide awake it's morning that, yeah you that, either sounded like connor oberst or chris Carabba at that yeah at yeah, that yeah, yeah. yeah totally so like there was that um and then johnny cash is a lifelong hero especially his later work which i think is where the commonality for me is yeah um so with with that said this record for me was a trying to get to a place of vulnerability. And so there's there's versions of these songs that aren't as broken or at, aren't as vulnerable, um, not even close. And so for me, like, there is an element of... My wife points it out better than anybody else. There's like, when you get really quiet in this one space, it really, really resonates with people. And it really, like, it, it's it's different. And, that, that's, and so I, for me, it was like... I want to go to that space. Like, I want to try to figure out what is me stripped down to my, like, most vulnerable elements. So, like, if I had to choose between perfection and vulnerability on this record, I went vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, if I had to choose between, like, what made me look good and what made me look human, I went with the human side of stuff. Mm-hmm. Because for me, having reverse engineered stuff, I'm like, man, the thing, the songs that are, like, Tom Waits' biggest ones or Damien Gerardo's or, like, all those people, it's that really vulnerable song that they mm-hmm. put on that record, like yeah. at the end. And so for me, I just wanted to write a collection of 
songs that showed my heart and showed my strengths, which were songwriting, lyrics, hooks, and vulnerability. And like I've realized as I've healed, like my capacity to to harness and share emotion and be present in emotion is much, much bigger than it was like five years ago. And so I wanted that to come through on the record. So like there's an emotional side of it that's like, I'm going to go there and that's going to be um, a distinctive maybe. So I, I was really pushing for all of those. Uh, and I think uh, Emery, they were, they were talking about, um, took them a long time to figure out who Emery was. I have known those guys a very long time. And uh, they're like, well, you know, for a, it took us like several records to figure out this is the kind of song we write. This is the kind of band we are. And and so I realized that I've been writing songs for a long time. And it was only in the last couple of years that I was like, okay, the songs that I find that resonate the most with myself and other people are these quiet ones and like kind of the more subdued choice. And so I wanted to write a record that I think where I'm at right now was me. Yeah. And that's where what I think we did. Yeah. I, I, I just love the uh, near like inverse kind of juxtaposition of, of listening to your record and going, wow, this is exposed and raw and like totally puts you in a place of like, like you're in it once you start the record. Um, and also to have, Seemingly, at least from from our perspective, couch to couch, such a a balanced, wise human person, like just just over here going, like these are what I felt, things I felt, and this is how I'm processing it, and like it's just such you just you seem like you you're really like grasping all of these emotions fully and knowing what to do with them, and I like that's that's exciting because like I feel. Sometimes as a songwriter, I feel like that that unhinged person that comes out or that like a person who's trying to understand the world, sometimes I feel like that's all I have. And sometimes yeah. like I might come off put together, but I never don't always feel like that, even if I'm having to put that out into the world because I you know, I want to seem balanced and regular yeah. and, and normal and 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 a good person for people to you Interact know to with. i want to appear in that way but sometimes like the songwriter in me is actually a loud it's it's just the louder voice in here it's going well what is this all for and what what are we doing and why do they treat me that way and do does anybody like me or do, do, what do i like me or like you know that person who sometimes i saw in your song who's just trying to go like what are all these things that i yeah. felt and these memories and good and bad and you know i I love just seeing also this person who has smiled so much and has just brought such a great joy to the room through even talking about struggle or pain or, you know, the songs themselves. I I find that wildly fascinating. Cool. Yeah, it's good. (laughs) I'm I'm an optimist. So, like, it's actually funny to me that, like, I mean, I, I was, I wrote a thing on Facebook, like, what do you remember from me? What do you remember about me from high school? As one of those memes, and uh, yeah, somebody's like, "I remember you smiling all the time," and uh, that's that's really kind of like my default. That's why "Better" is the last song, and everything that's lost is the first. I find those are like the the most gentle songs on the record. Yeah, because uh, that's kind of how I default to, mm-hmm. um, and kind of how I was programmed. I think from an early age was to to feel composed uh, for various reasons, not necessarily good ones. Right, uh, and then realizing like. So that, that there's an element of that that wants to bring joy and, and happiness. That's why I've got one of the silly, a really silly band. Um, 
but realizing like um, there's also this element of me that was deeply, deeply scarred and deeply uh, wounded by other people and my own decisions too, but like that had set <laughs> the, the me on a course that is not the course I wanted to be on. Like it wasn't like, I don't know, and nobody courts trauma if they're in their right mind. Nobody seeks to, you know, like the unhinged, I have to drink artist perception is total crap. Yeah. Like that's not, that's not healthy and that's not, not sustainable. So realizing like, man, there's an element of me that's broken that I need to heal is, is where, what I really like. I mean, last night I was totally not, uh, not completely unhinged, but totally in a vulnerable space where I was like, you know, poured out and worked out, but realizing that like that going there doesn't have to destroy my life. It doesn't have to like be the story, like grieving and processing is containable in certain elements. Like, oh, I've got an hour. Cool. Let's go work through some stuff versus like, you know, I feel like, like I was, um, the, the boundaries book that I was reading last night was talking about how grief doesn't have to like, you know, overrun your life. It can be in a certain space and a certain process. And so realizing like, oh, that's, that's an element where I can totally work through these really intense things, but also, you know, put on my logistics hat, Yeah. put on my, like, I want to be a present person and realizing like, those are like, I would love to wear that hat all the time. Well, I like, like a lot of the time. I mean, I, I like to be able to feel like when I walk out of my house that I'm not a like ballistic wreck, <laughs> which, you know, not always the world could use that mentality. Sometimes I'm totally, you know, a mess. Like, and I have to, you know, maybe that's a good time that I shouldn't be going out of my house. Right. Maybe I need to go to my basement and, and work through some hard stuff. Like Check my, yourself. Yeah. my, uh, Tessa is incredibly good at being like, y- you should go take a bath. Like you're like when I'm having a moment, she just tells me, go, go work on your heart. And I try to do the same to her. That's good. And then we get to like, you come out of it. Like I come out with a song or I come out with a journal entry or a personal insight, or maybe I went and I just read a children's book for a couple hours. And then I feel like I'm actually like not in the present moment of the trauma or not controlled by that, that piece of it. And I'm able to move on with life and then revisit it as I need to. I think you should, uh, I don't know if you have enough of them, but you talked about you went and took a bath and then came out with a song. You should have a whole bath song, like record and bath just song. Yeah, yeah, just salts. sing it in the in the because bathrooms always have the greatest reverb and acoustics, like mm-hmm. nearly always. I, I want. I got a shower that I love the sound of. I really want to try to like see what it's like to track in there. Yeah, <laughs> I think they're really fun. That's amazing. Well, as we kind of uh, start to ramp this down, um, how can we find your new record and check out what you're doing? HideNoTruth.com. Okay. Go there. That's a, that's a hub. Uh, lots of websites direct there. So HideNoTruth.com. It's on, I'm on all the social media websites. If you look up Good Saint Nathaniel and Hide No Truth, if you Google that, you'll find me or Hide No Truth. Um, so that's where I'd go. I'm on every platform, every streaming, all the Twitters and Facebooks and all that stuff. Okay. Right on. You know what we didn't do? What's that? We didn't say Nate Allen's real name from the beginning. That's okay. Okay. Nathaniel. I think people know. All right. Stephen Allen. Yeah. That's my real name. <laughs> okay. 
Sean wants to make sure that you are known. Well, we introduced you as your moniker. We didn't yeah. introduce you as a human being. Well, I'm, my name is Nate, normally. Since I was 13, they switched it to a baseball team from Nathaniel to Nate. Nathaniel's hard to spell, so I bought Good Saint Nathaniel with N-A-T-H-A and A-E-L mm-hmm. and the domain with the I-E-L. Mm-hmm. So I'm just like... So even if people mess it up... Even if you typo it... You're going for it. Like Lots I think I've, I think That's I've good. hacked Google to where if you typo my band name, it redirects you to the right one. Mm-hmm. I, I should do the there. same thing. Mm-hmm. I just great like, idea, man. I just like, work the system. I, I mean, I now I look at like unless it's a prominent piece of press, if they typo my name, I let it uh, stay. Mm-hmm. So I figure it'll send the right like, one way or the other. They'll get to you. Yeah. Is there anything coming up for you uh, that you want to highlight? I'm going to be playing some house shows and some small shows around here. Okay. Here in Kansas City? Yeah, that's that's kind of the next phase of this project is to to take it out of the house into some shows. I've been much more intentional to like not just go crazy and overwork myself. So sure. hopefully there'll be some shows popping up that people can see me at and in the greater region. I want to do that. And then there'll be some touring later this year. And I don't know, I'm working on new songs, so maybe those will get out too. Uh-huh. Maybe the, some, some bath time songs. Yeah, I got some. <laughs> I, got, I, got a, I got a large collection of songs I'm trying to work through, so hopefully I'll have a chance to hit record again. You should, uh, just as a, a thought experiment, just take one of your Excel spreadsheets with all the, the song titles and just put it out on the internet and say, pick t- 10. And I'm going to put a demo out for all of these. Fun. Just to the see. B-sides. I just, what if. Pick the titles. What if people actually chose the greatest record of your life just from the titles alone? I think it'd be fun. And then you're, you you don't have to worry about did this come together like it should because. They, they did it. They did it. This you is pick, your fault. Pick, pick it. You, you guys. You guys chose those, just so yeah. you know. Like, I hate this song. You, well, you when picked when it. You're, when you're your crying. Fault. I mean, I just want you to know that you picked it. You, you, you chose the pill. Yeah, yeah. And then, then people can never complain that you did the wrong thing. It's yeah. all, it's all their fault. Oh, you didn't make any of the complain. decisions. Yeah, they would from, complain. Yeah, <laughs> people will still complain. Not too much. Good. I, I actually, actually, that was a, a major fear of mine. And you know, don't be this guy if you listen to the podcast, but. Uh, <laughs> People ask, or if people come at you with with negative feedback mm-hmm. from the record, mm-hmm. I was like, no, not really. And somebody pointed out, you'd have to be a pretty big asshole yeah. to like <laughs> say this person's talking when they're really vulnerable, and I'm just gonna trash them for it. Yeah, yeah. like yeah. that. That would be uh, so. That hasn't happened in. Uh, the you know, there, there's been some negative you. things where I've uh, have to, you know, sort through, but not like, not like that intense um, yeah. attack. That's good. That's, yeah. Uh, I think the fear that we have that no one will like this is com- is just so wrong most of the time. Yeah, we, we're always so scared. Like when we're, oh, I shouldn't do this. Like, shouldn't put this mm-hmm. record out. Nobody's gonna like it. And it, it's wildly the opposite most of the time. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, well, it's it's the vulnerable piece. You have to step into it. Like, yeah, I mean, for me, this is the vulnerable record that I needed to make, and hopefully, there's a lot more that I get to make that are in, in some comparable like. So it's just a matter of choosing to step forward in that and realizing that's part of the story. Like, you know, where we're most insecure is generally where we're strongest. Yeah. That's good. Put that on a t-shirt, man. That's the new 
That's the new Good Saint Nathaniel t-shirt right there. Let's put it on a shirt. Yeah. <laughs> I have two questions for you. Number one, it seems like you read a lot. Can you give us just a recommendation? Like, let's just, we want to go out and buy a book right now and read it. What, what should we read? I would say Finish the Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a life-changing book. Uh that's that's probably the one. Okay. That, I think that is even if you're not an artist, you're just art curious, jump into that and and do what she says. The more you can put yourself into it, the more you'll get out of it. I've learned so much about myself. Kind of find your inner um, voice a little bit. Yeah, well I've learned a ton about myself. Like through that book, I I learned a fa- what my favorite color is. My favorite color is purple. I didn't know that. Uh, I learned that the reason I cared so much about drums on my records is because I actually wanted to play them. Mm. I didn't know that. Uh, I learned so much and, and also learned like how to take my three brains artistically and, and get a record out, which yeah. I didn't know how to do from that book. Yeah. So, and also like she works through a lot of um, deep kind of trauma blocks in a fun way. Yeah. And my sister was like, well, it's like it's like going through like a therapy, but it's a little more fun. Yeah. <laughs> and we went through it as with a group, which meant that we weren't having to like use our own strength for the like self-discipline of actually doing it. Yeah. It a, you went through the book as a group? Yeah, I did that a couple That's times. That's amazing. It was so I could get through it that way, I think. Then you get I to think like I could too. You want to do it as a group, Corey? Yeah. Do okay. it. You can root root for your friends. Yeah. And when someone has a breakthrough, you get to share in that. And it's super worth it. Hmm. That's amazing. I love that. Last question. We ask everybody this. What's your favorite record of all time? Or in your opinion, what is the greatest record of all time? There's no wrong answer. Yeah, and it's just right now. It's just right now. I think it's, I would say Johnny Cash, it's American 3 or 4, the one that has the I Won't Back Down on it. It's a good choice. That's a good um, choice. Yeah, that would probably what I'd go with. Yeah. Anything from his later work is... Mm-hmm. Soul crushing in the it's, best way. It's really, really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a great answer. You wonder if anyone will ever... This is what I like about this question is no one's ever answered the same thing. It's I wonder true. if anyone ever will. Yeah, probably eventually if we do this enough. If you, if you get like... Couple hundred episodes, you'll finally find that cross section. <laughs> Those two people that really like bright Kesha. eyes, I'm wide awake. It's morning. Yeah. <laughs> they got it. <laughs> there it is. There's bound to be someone. Usually, it's an album that I've never heard of, you know. And so this this question always actually kind of educates us into a whole world of music we've never even heard. So mm-hmm. it's true. Anyway, well, thank you for being here. I find you wildly fascinating, and you've really like just encouraged my soul a ton by just sharing your story and talking about your new record. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Make sure you go check out Good Saint Nathaniel. That is N-A-T-H-A-N-A-E-L. So make sure you get on the Googles, learn all about him, check out his new record. It is called Hide No Truth. It came out in February, so it's still new. Check it out on Spotify. Buy it. Support him. We are so glad that you guys have made it all the way through this thing. My name is Corey. My name is Sean. My name is Nate. And we'll see you later. Frazzle, dazzle, frizzle, frazzle. Swinging justice like a gavel. Inner turmoil and battle. Wish I could time travel. Not to Galilee.
But through my family tree, I bring my boxing gloves. Righteous anger toward love. I'd say peace in you.